Welcome back to another episode of Art in the Making, a podcast produced and hosted by me, Caroline Cook, and me, Courtney McKee, this year's Conroy and Irby programming interns at the Hood Museum of Art at Dartmouth College. This podcast is about how art's made. We'll be tracing the history of different materials used in the creation of art through the ages and highlighting pieces in the Hoods collection that you can see for yourself. If you've joined us before, we've looked at pigmentation and where colors come from, which means we're ready to talk about one of the ways those colors have lasted for centuries. Yeah, exactly. Today we're talking about ceramics, and I'm really excited. Mm -hmm. It's another one of these media that I'm not really sure how I'd go about making myself, so it's always really hard for me to picture what the artist is trying to say because I'm not even sure how they're saying it. That makes sense. Through a complicated multi-step process, an artist takes clay and makes it into something almost like glass. I'm so excited. Let's get started. So basically, ceramics are made from inorganic, non-metallic substances that have been heated up to high temperatures in order to form a hard, brittle, sturdy, and heat-resistant solid. There are many different kinds of ceramics, but the basic principles to make pottery remain the same. Clay-based minerals are dug up from the earth, mixed with water, mm. molded into the desired shape, like a bowl or a jug, and then fired in a kiln, mm -hmm. which is basically a really hot oven or furnace that's used specially for this purpose. Yeah, basically there are three broad types of pottery, earthenware, stoneware, and porcelain, with each increasing in durability. Earthenware was invented first around 25,000 BCE. It consists of clay fired at low temperatures, usually from 1,000 degrees Celsius to 1,200 degrees Celsius, but can go all the way down to 600 degrees Celsius. These low firing temperatures meant that while the clay would harden, it would still absorb water because the clay minerals did not completely melt together to become impermeable. And if you think back to our metalwork episode, bronze tools required much lower temperatures than iron tools, which meant they were much more widespread earlier on. And the same occurred with the development of pottery, as low-fired earthenware dominated pottery production until the invention of stoneware around 5000 BCE. Yeah, exactly. Stoneware can only be made from specific kinds of clays, so it's much more specific than earthenware. It takes a higher temperature and is usually fired at 1,100 degrees Celsius all the way up to 1,300 degrees Celsius. If you prefer Fahrenheit like I do, that's well over 2,000 degrees. So I couldn't bake ceramics in my oven at home? <laughs> no, I think mine only goes to 450. <laughs> Anyways, porcelain, as the most durable, is also fired at the highest temperatures, up to 1,400 degrees Celsius. Oh and they're also the most finicky in other ways, requiring an even narrower group of clays as their base. Mm. And though exact um, techniques and ingredients have varied around the world, they usually emerge in that order. That makes a lot of sense. They're pretty much in the order of easiest to hardest, you know, in terms of process. Yeah, pretty much. So this episode is a little different from the others because we have a special guest joining us for our conversation. As you all know, and I think we make pretty clear, Courtney and I are not experts. That is right. So today we're talking to someone who is. We would like to welcome Jamie Powell associate curator of Native American art here at the Hood Museum. She recently curated an exhibit called Form and Relation, which explores the ceramic work of six indigenous artists across what is now the United States. 
we thought we'd let her answer some of the questions that we had about what makes ceramics so special. So to get us started, Jamie, can you tell us why you chose to center ceramics in your exhibition? Yeah, so um, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Sure. Um, I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, the exhibition, uh, Form and Relation Contemporary Native Ceramics, was actually co-curated um, with my former curatorial fellow, mm -hmm. uh, Morgan E. Freeman. And uh, what actually brought me to Dartmouth, um, to the Hood Museum, was a grant through the Ford uh, Ford family and her Ford and Walton Family Foundations uh, called the Diversifying Art Museum Leadership Initiative. And it created my position, uh, the fellowship that Morgan had for two years, and funding to do an exhibition from the museum's collection or otherwise mm -hmm. and produce a catalog. So we had, um, once I came on board, um, we had a little less than two years to do all of this, which wow. um, I think for people who maybe aren't in the museum field, <laughs> uh, two years sounds like a really long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but within museums, we, you know, normally a project with a catalog, you know, can take between three and five years. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I knew that I needed to get to work pretty quickly yeah. <laughs> after joining and spent some time with the collections, um, learning about some of the strengths of the collections. And um, one of the things that I wanted to do was do something that you know spoke to a strength of the collection, but also maybe filled some gaps. Yeah. So ceramics are represented well within the collections, but a lot of the material is historic, mm. um, and a lot of the materials from uh, the Southwest. Mm. And through my you know previous work and the um, you know the the artists that I know um, who are doing ceramics. Uh, their work is really different from what the Hood Museum had in, in our collections mm -hmm. yeah. previously. And so I kind of wanted to juxtapose this really avant-garde mm -hmm. um, work that these artists were creating um, with that historic material, but not show that it was you know something separate, not mm -hmm. to create kind of this dichotomy between mm -hmm. um, the historic and the contemporary, but to show how these artists are drawing on these long traditions and practices mm -hmm. and knowledges within their communities yeah. um, to create things that are really meaningful mm -hmm. today. Yeah. So are there some current trends you see in ceramic art among indigenous artists? I don't know that I'd call them trends, mm -hmm. but I think maybe themes that have long existed, uh, sure. but that I drew out in this exhibition, but I think that other curators and you know folks um, who are experiencing the art are taking notice of. Um, for instance, um, thinking about our relationships to mm -hmm. land, and so clay as a material comes from the land, um, and so you know it's really easy to facilitate a dialogue about how the art is connected to place. Yeah. Um, and I think we're, you know, the museum, um, the Hood Museum of Art and Dartmouth College um, sits upon the unceded and ancestral lands of the Abenaki. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we have that acknowledgement right. um, at the entrance to the museum. Uh, but it's also something that, you know, more and more people are beginning to do to practice these land acknowledgements. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I don't know that people are always 
kind of taking seriously the work that that acknowledgement um, implies. So for me, that acknowledgement isn't a like checking a box, but rather an opening to this larger commitment we have. And so, you know, from the artists who are in the exhibition, how is place um, centered within their work? How is um, our relationship to place centered in our work? Um, And how is knowledge embedded within the materiality of the clay? Um, So none of the or I guess there are a few objects in the show, the, the resonators by Ruben Olguin uh, are vessels, mm-hmm. um, but there aren't many things in the show that are vessels, but you can still think metaphorically about, you know, all of the pieces being vessels that sure. hold something and some mm-hmm. kind of meaning. Yeah. Um, so it's, um, yeah, I think, I think relationality is mm-hmm. um, something that I, I was thinking about a lot yeah. in this exhibition. Can you talk a little bit about Ruben Olguin's Adobe Pit? I think that is such an interesting work yeah. and it's such a centerpiece. Yeah, so um, Ruben Olguin is a mestizo artist. Um, uh, for those of you who don't know, that means he is both um, uh, indigenous um, and Mexican and um Spanish mm-hmm. or you know European of European descent. Um, so uh, he is one of the artists in the show um, who I didn't know his work until I started researching for this show. Mm-hmm. And another artist in the show, uh, Courtney Leonard, actually introduced me to his work. Um, and as I was talking with her, she said, "You know, if these are the things you're you're looking at, mm-hmm. um, you should really check out Ruben Olguin." And I'm so grateful that she pointed that out to me or pointed out his work to me because, um, you know, we often think about the, you know, um, I'm the curator of Native American art, like the Native North American collections. Mm -hmm. Um, And even though North America isn't just the U.S. and Canada um, in terms of how we categorize that within art museums, um, it's mostly Canadian Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and U- First Nations artists and uh, mm-hmm. U.S.-based Native American artists. Um, so, you know, Ruben is based in New Mexico um, and is uh, Pueblo of Nambe, but he is also Mestizo. Mm-hmm. Um, and so his, you know, he thinks a lot about maps and borders and, you know, how the kind of the southern yeah. U.S. border bisects a lot of, or divides a lot of indigenous right. communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and so his his pit that's in the show is uh, called Fractured Broken Landscapes. Um, and he actually came out um, the first week of March 2020, um, kind of right before everything shut down, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> spent time um, at the ceramic studio at the the Hopkins Center for the Arts um, building adobe bricks with students and other folks who came in. Mm -hmm. They dried them there, they brought them all over to the galleries and then constructed this pit. And within the pit is a projection uh, and it is a map of 
uh, New Hampshire, so mm-hmm. the place where we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, um, so the projector kind of hangs above and um, is projected into the concave center mm-hmm. of this adobe pit. Um, and you see the, the video, but it's obscured by the texture yeah. of the adobe and the cracks that have formed mm. in it. And so like the point of the piece is that it is difficult to read mm-hmm. and that you can kind of tell what it is, but yeah. not really. Right. Um, and it speaks to some of that, the ambiguity of um, borders yeah. and how they <laughs> came to be um, uh, you know, political and national borders. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. I mean, so our whole series has sort of been on materiality. And I think this concept of the material being a vessel, not just, you know, like a physical vessel, like using the material to make a bowl or something, but but actually the material being a vessel is such an interesting idea. And I think that that piece shows that really mm-hmm. well. And I love the fact that that many people worked on it, too, which I guess kind of leads into our next question. We're interested in um, if the museum or this museum, a museum, um, is an appropriate setting to consider these objects and like what what putting them in this environment does? Yeah, I mean, we're, you know, we're, th- this show specifically is, you know, contemporary art, art mm-hmm. that is um, made for art's sake. Right. Um, that said, um, you know, a lot of the, the pieces in our collection, specifically the historic pieces, um, you know, had other uses um, and other purposes within their communities before they um, came to be in the museum's possession. So the, you know, the there are about 4,000 um, works of art in the Native American collections at the Hood Museum. Um, and the majority of those are ethnographic collections. Mm-hmm. They were collected by um, anthropologists or, um, uh, you know, people who were trying to salvage the mm-hmm. the vestiges of yeah. these like mm-hmm. uh, of dying communities mm-hmm. and I, I hope people can hear the sarcasm yeah. in my <laughs> voice um, you know because uh, you know indigenous communities did not go extinct mm-hmm. um, uh, like every other you know like other cultural groups um, and nations um, you know adaptation and change has always been um, a part of our communities and so colonialism um you know kind of increased the pace at which some of that happened Mm -hmm. Um, but one of the things that really draws me in you know to the work that i'm doing is the way that indigenous communities um, and artists and makers brought you know new materials and new, new ideas into their work in ways that were meaningful and relevant within their own communities. A lot of a lot of the works in our collection are, you know, were utilitarian, mm-hmm. um, some ceremonial, some, you know, had uh, or religious, mm-hmm. had different kinds of purposes. But now that they're in the museum, they're art objects. Right. Um, but, you know, none of these categories are that useful in defining the entirety of an object. Uh, You know, so, you know, when you put something in a museum, it becomes a kind of singular thing. It, it like, flattens Mm -hmm. um, the life of the object. Uh, So, you know, it's important to kind of think about the the kind of multiplicity 
of the works in our collection and all of the things that um, that these objects were and continue to be mm -hmm. in communities and um, you know it's probably for a different conversation but mm -hmm. you know we also have things in in the collections that we shouldn't have right and that's something that we're you know um, actively working to address as yeah. well mm -hmm. and um, connecting with communities and engaging in conversation about you know things that we have that that don't belong in a museum but mm -hmm. belong back in the community right mm -hmm. yeah and I think with the medium of ceramics, it has such a long history mm -hmm. and significance. So can you talk a little on that, how the material impacts the meaning of these works? Yeah, so, you know, I'll probably go back to form and relation to mm -hmm. answer this question. And one of the reasons I chose ceramics to work with um, here in New England there's a lot of erasure of indigeneity, mm -hmm. yet it's really omnipresent when you look at place names and mm -hmm. right. um, you know the histories of mm -hmm. the various places we inhabit. So, you know, along with that, there's not often opportunities for people um, to learn about the histories. Mm -hmm. um, they, you know, uh, aren't taught in schools, there's, you know, a very um, kind of oversimplified version of history that's taught in schools. And, you know, because people don't otherwise have opportunities to learn about Native American nations mm -hmm. or communities or um, those more complex stories that have shaped our nation, it can be really difficult for people to engage with contemporary mm -hmm. Native American art. Um, and so I wanted to, you know, one of the reasons why we then use ceramics was because it was something that was accessible. It's something mm -hmm. that, you know, we've all, I think many of us have, um, you know, experienced working with clay yeah. in art classes growing up. If not, we certainly all played in the dirt mm -hmm. at some <laughs> point, whether our parents, in, you know, liked it or not. Right. <laughs> um, and, you know, even... At home, I have like my favorite mug that I use. Mm -hmm. My, um, you know, I have a favorite bowl that I use and I prefer to eat out of, um, you know, stoneware, not, you know, um, I'm not fancy enough to have porcelain. <laughs> but, you know, that like I, like the materiality of the mm -hmm. object provides a connection for people and opening mm -hmm. for people to feel some kind of familiarity. Um, and to have an entry point into these conversations we're having. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it's so, it's so moldable. Mm -hmm. And then the fingerprints in the clay, it's very tactile. It's very yeah. personal. Yeah. yeah. So the, um, you mentioned fingerprints. The, the piece that's in the window right now of the museum, the vitrine mm -hmm. window, is a piece called Everyone by Chinupahanska Luger. And it's based off of a tintype photograph by... Uh, Kaylee Spitzer, um, mm -hmm. a photographer, um, and she, there's this image, and um, the, the piece is a larger commentary um, or raising, intended to raise awareness about the pan, um, epidemic of missing and murdered indigenous women, girls, mm -hmm. um, queer and trans folks, and 
what the artists did was put out a call um, for people to take clay and to form it into balls of a certain size. They're about the size of baseballs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then send them to the artist. And he fired them um, and strung them, uh, colored them, um, and strung them. And so each you know, kind of baseball size mm-hmm. piece comes together as it represents a pixel. And when put together, comes out and is this portrait. When you can see it in person, what I want you to do is you've seen it from the outside, you've mm-hmm. seen it from far away. Yeah. So what's really amazing is when you go inside and you look at the piece from behind, you can actually see like the individual um, beads Mm. Uh that people made and you can see people's thumbprints and the different shapes. And like some people made them more square. Some people's are like kind of gnarly looking (laughs) and others are really smooth and almost perfect shaped. And so it like that is just this like larger kind of visual metaphor for the diversity and multiplicity of human experiences um and so yeah but the thumbprints i love the seeing the thumbprints in those and in all ceramics that i see you know like um like the shadow of the person and the work is so monumental in the window that it's it's interesting that you can flip it on the other side and see that it's made by individual people yeah coming together Yeah. And I mean, that's something that we've been, you know, really thinking about when we think about materiality is like considering what, you know, we use to make it really is a conversation about who made it. And I think that that's something that, you know, ceramics shows easier than some other media. And Mm -hmm. I I think that's really beautiful. I want to talk about Courtney Leonard's installation breach Mm -hmm. logbook 20 nebulous um, that like just I can't I can't do it justice in a brief conversation Um, but it will be up on view for two years Um, so it will stay up past the run of the the main the the rest of the exhibition Um, and so I'm really looking forward to people like experiencing that in person yeah Um, Anita Fields uh, the wall of figures so the the piece is called so many ways to be human Mm -hmm. and it's on this kind of like lilac colored wall and there are 30 figures that are human but not quite human they're androgynous Mm -hmm. um some of them like one has its fist up in the air some have bandanas covering their faces Mm -hmm. which were like protest figures although i think those resonate a bit differently now that we're wearing masks Mm -hmm. all the time um (laughs) My, one of my favorite anecdotes about that is uh, there was a Picasso hanging on that wall before. And so I put Picasso in the closet and <laughs> put Anita Fields, um, who's an Osage artist um, from my community. She's a, a, a citizen of the Osage Nation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was really a special moment yeah. for me um, that, you know, and I like to tell people back home, like, well, you know, we took Picasso down and put Anita up, right? <laughs> um uh, but the piece that I will talk about in detail is uh, by Roxanne Swensel, mm-hmm. um, and it's called Sitting on Our Mother's Back, mm-hmm. and it's a figure of a woman. Um, the piece is not quite life-size, but um, not small either, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's a figure of a woman. Um, she's nude. She's hunched over. 
um, and she's kind of got her hands, you know, covering her face, but you mm-hmm. can still see her face, um, and you can see this look of kind of exhaustion. Yeah. And when you look on the back, um, her hair, um, there are two children sitting in her hair. Mm-hmm. One is kind of got hair draped over his shoulder, and he's eating an apple that she provided. Mm-hmm. Um, the other is kind of nuzzled, snuggled into her hair, um, resting um, with what I would call as a smug look on his face or like a, <laughs> like a snotty look on his face. Um, and he's, you know, so um, the piece is a metaphor for our relationship to Mother Earth mm-hmm. and how we take her food, her mm-hmm. resources for warmth, how she cares for us, but we haven't kind of reciprocated that care yeah. mm-hmm. to her. Um, and that piece and this whole show went up um, and was supposed to open right before everything shut down mm-hmm. because of uh, COVID. So I, you know, that piece meant one thing to me and was really powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, after we weren't allowed in the building for mm-hmm. about six months. And so the first time I came back in and saw that piece, like I felt that exhaustion. Yeah of that mother figure. I have two boys Mm -hmm. myself. (laughs) Um, And so just the way that it resonated with me Mm -hmm. very differently was powerful, but also helped me connect to like the way that we are exhausting Mm -hmm. um, resources um, and think about, you know, how I can engage, um, you know, in a different kind of reciprocal or Mm -hmm. caring relationship um, with Mother Earth. Right. And I think clay reflects that in the yeah. way that you can take it out, wet it, harden it, and then re-wet it. It sort of speaks to that circularity, that reciprocity. Mm-hmm. So one interesting thing about Ruben's piece, the, the pit, the um, fractured, broken landscapes, is that is an installation. Um, the, it's a site-specific installation. And so after the show comes down, We'll take that pit apart brick Mm -hmm. by brick, um, and then um, the bricks will then go out, um, and we'll put them in a field, um, and the rain will kind of wash it away, and it'll return that piece to to the land. And so it's kind of, there's this, like, really beautiful circularity um, in in that piece, so... So that's a deeper dive into ceramics. I hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. Join us next time for a closer look at paper and how the characteristics of the type of paper used influences the art that's made with it. Yeah, there's a lot more to it than you might think. I can't wait. See you then.